This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue Channel. Um, to my left is Mr. Josh Williams um, and David Hughes, of course. Josh, how are you, mate? Good, mate, yeah. This is uh, going to be a bit different to what we usually do, isn't it? Well, yeah. certainly myself, at least. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's, uh, would it be right to say it's your first ever Everton podcast? It is, yeah. First ever Everton podcast, but... Um, Hopefully I'm prepared enough to uh, keep up with yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, it won't be hard, mate, let's be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, what we'll probably do is maybe introduce ourselves a little bit to people listening. Um, talk a little bit about the pod and then crack on. Um, so, yeah, uh, obviously I'm a tactics and analytical content writer, I suppose, uh, at Reach PLC. So Reach cover Liverpool Echo. Um, Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle, Football London, quite a few of the uh, local journalism outlets. Um, and the idea is just to bring a little bit more tactics and analysis to mainstream media. Um, that's pretty much the same thing for you, isn't it, Josh, in the same role? Yeah, um, we're the first two in the company with these roles. Um, we were appointed around a year ago now. The, the technical word for the role is football scouting writer. Um, and as David said, we're just responsible for providing mainstream football analysis, really the kind of thing that you'd see on Monday Night Football We is, is what we do daily. Um, just providing insights, delving into tactics, um, and rather than using like traditional cliches to, to address certain situations, we will maybe go a bit deeper to actually assess whether that's the truth or you know things like that. So hopefully we'll be able to provide a bit of an alternative angle on... Um, on what, what else is out there, basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of the podcast itself, you may or may not be aware, I, I assume a lot of people listening or watching won't, but we both do a show called Analyzing Anfield, don't we? Um, yeah. Which, <laughs> ironically, obviously, I'm an, I'm an Everton fan, Josh is a Reds, but we've never found any issues with that, have we, at all? Because of the, um, I think just the, the way the podcast is, it's, it, it's not... It's nothing really to do with rivalries or trying to, you know, one-upmanship, is it? It's just analysis of the game. Um, yeah. It's no point scoring, you know. It, I should point out very early on, if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> you're probably better going somewhere else um, because this isn't it. We're not going to be doing it on this show. Um, but, yeah, Analyzing Anfield started this year, didn't it? It's been quite a success. Yeah, it's, it's went down really well, yeah. We do an Analyzing Anfield episode every week um, and we just address the things that I've basically just mentioned there. Um, and it, it's run down really well to the extent that, you know, it's, it's worth branching out. Um, and, you know, we don't tend to discuss, you know, refereeing decisions or VAR or anything like that. Um, we tend to keep it quite analytical and most of all unbiased. I think we, you know, assess certain situations Definitely, completely yeah. objectively. Yeah. And... You know, hopefully you'll get a, a, a gauge of what we're what we're about throughout the, f- the first episode today. Yeah, hopefully, um, that probably takes us on to on to where we're going to go with the show. Um, with it being the first episode, I thought it'd be good to maybe just almost take stock of uh, Marco Silva at Everton. Uh, obviously, we're into a second season now. We're coming close to the end of November, nearly December, so we're getting a good gauge as to where these are. So we'll look a little bit of his the staples of his philosophy at Everton. Uh, what we've seen so far. Um, general thoughts on, on Everton so far this season. Um, 
you know, the good and the bad, really. And then have a look at a few players. Um, one I'd like to look at because I seem to be talking about them all the time is a Wobie. Um, yeah. Big fan. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and then we'll have a quick reflection on Southampton. I mean, it was nearly two weeks ago now, so we won't loiter too long. And then we'll have a look ahead to Norwich, which could be a could be a big game given the the fixtures Evan have got on the on the horizon. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll look at Marco Silva initially at Everton. Josh, um, you know, he last season he finished eighth. Everton are currently fifteenth under him. I mean, it doesn't look great on paper, does it? But is it as, in your opinion, is it as bad as it seems? Or well, that, what you've just said there is a good point that it doesn't look it doesn't look great on paper. Mm. But I think what what we're hopefully going to do is provide a bit of insight into why it's important to look beyond that. Basically, yeah, football's obviously a very low scoring game, um, and the majority out there are inclined to focus on results and determine their own opinions based on that. But if you actually do look a little bit deeper, you get an insight into the story, and I think. I mean, I don't get to write about Everton a great deal because, you know, you're you're the blue in the group, so yeah. you, you write about them most of the time. But there was a period last year, um, around the January period, I think it was, or something like that, I, I actually got to write about Everton for one of the first times. Um, and I just, I analysed, you know, what, what he was doing, the, the numbers and that objectively, yeah. as though I didn't really know Everton, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, fr- from like a, a blank canvas. Yeah, blank yeah. canvas, yeah. And... Uh, it, it it was just quite evident that, like, for me, the, I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to instill, like, a, a modern, uh, quite a series of high-energy game, high-tempo. Um, but at the time, I, I wasn't entirely sure that the actual squad, his actual players, was suited to that. Mm-hmm. Hence, you know, I, I mean, Everton obviously intense presses, I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, it's very intense without the ball. But I think one of, one of the things I picked up on was that because um, they don't really have the the entirely suitable players in possession, the possession-based players, it kind of resulted in the ball almost pinballing in and around the midfield area for 90 minutes, yeah. basically. That was how I deemed it, you know, objectively speaking at the time. Um, I think I think the recruitment's improved slightly. Uh, I think you've gradually improved upon what, what was there last year. Mm. But I do I do see similar similar issues in terms of he's he's trying to instill a certain brand of football. He is doing it as much as he can, really. Yeah. Um. But I, I just see certain player profile issues here and there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think you know I had a look at the numbers myself at the end of the season, just in some key departments, because a lot was made of the fact that Everton replicated an, an eighth place finish which is what they did under Sam Allardyce the season before, which on paper looks to be a, uh, well, non-improvement. Yeah. But in reality, that, that wasn't the case. You know, um, some of the key areas I noticed, he scored 54 goals last season, which ranked eighth in the in the Premier League. The season before, it was 44, which ranked 12th. Um, they actually had the fifth best defence in the... Um, the division last season conceding 44 goals, which I think is interesting. Um, there was also improvements in the number of shots they had, uh, number of shots they faced as well. There was there was improvements all across the pitch. Well, that that's the thing, though, what, what you've said there. I think defensively, since Silvers came in, I think you've been relatively relatively fine. Yeah. Um, but, but a lot of people wouldn't think that, would they? Well, no, maybe not. No, no. But no, I, no, I agree with you, and it's something that we'll come on to. 
you know, a lot of people perceive as a little bit weak in defence, but in reality, but what, what I was going to say there though was, you know, I, th- I think it's easier to coach a defence to be good without relying on the individual quality of those players. Mm. I think you can coach any, well, not any defence, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with the ball going forward, you are naturally reliant on a player's ability to execute a pass or find the back of the net with a shot. Yeah, you spot. So on. I think I think that's where Everton have maybe struggled a little bit under Silver. Um, and that's where that's where the recruitment's eventually going to come come into it, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, some of those staples we talked about. I think he he on the whole tries to prove the more domineering side in possession. I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, they had they ranked seventh last season for the ball possession so far this season. They're around, I think it's around maybe eighth. Um, but I wouldn't class Everton as a a ball-obsessed side, so to speak. You know, they are happy to relinquish the same against better sides in possession. We saw that quite a lot last season at Goodison where um, some of the bigger sides come to Everton and Everton were happy to just sit back and soak up um, the attacks before, you know, quickly transitioning into counters and and obviously put, put a good run together. Um, you touched on it earlier, which I think is a really good point. The, even when they are without the ball, though, they, they do press, don't they? Press very aggressive. They do, but I I did check today. Um, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a little bit surprising. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, I'm not sure if that's just as a result of how recent matches have went in terms of the game state, Everton taking leads or, or, or whatever. Yeah, the, the thing is, even though we've got a better sample size this season of what 12 games, it still can be heavily influenced by one or two fixtures, can't it? But you know, just a bit bit of context. Last season, uh, in terms of passes per defensive action, which is a metric used to basically um, assess how many passes allowed by an opponent before looking to actively make it defensive action. Um, Everton ranks second in the Premier League behind only Manchester City with an average of 9.26. Um, now it's a little bit more relaxed this season at 10.51, which ranks still in the top 10, doesn't it? But it's more mid-table, would you say? Yeah, but a couple of weeks ago, it was much higher, wasn't it? Yeah, so... I'm inclined to think that, w- would that be in the case, m- maybe it's it's heavily related to, obviously, the fact that Everton have had slightly better results lately. Is that... Is that- Am I right in saying that? Yeah, Simply it, because, like, I think you're more inclined to press when you're losing, basically, mm. because you need, you know, the emphasis is on you to go and, to go and win the game, kind yeah. of thing, to go and get yourself back in the game. Plus, we've seen echoes of this, haven't we? To a, obviously, it's a much lesser extent with Everton, but we've talked about Liverpool on the Analyze Anfield show, haven't we? About how their presses on paper look to relax, but thing is, a lot of the sides are just sit back now, don't dig into Liverpool, and when they do get the ball, clear the ball forward and. I just wonder with with Everton trying to see more of the ball, the, a lot more sides are happy to sit back, which means that then there's less requirement to press, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's that's certainly some of the area. There's definitely been improvement, shall we say, in the in the sides. And as I said, the st- main staples I probably take from it is they like to try and dominate as much as they can in possession. Um, yeah, they pre- press aggressively. Um, yeah, and I also think and he's he's trying to maybe veer the side more towards creating a quite fluid attacking front three front four as opposed to maybe relying on. So when Everton Everton's last kind of half decent striker was Lukaku, who was a main target man, who was there to provide the goals, do do all the running and 
um, basically be the focal point. It, it seems like now he's looking for something a little bit more fluid and interchangeable. Would you agree? I would agree, but again, I think it comes back down to the players. I think if you want that, you need to have players almost that naturally complement each other's mm. tendencies and things yeah. like that. Like, you know, we obviously don't want to keep using Liverpool as an example, but no, but it's, if it's, you do have a bit of Firmino up front, who's dropping off, and you've got Mane and Salu and Clans running behind, yeah, that's a perfect storm sort of thing. Yeah. So what I think f- Everton have, a, have a, a variety of players, but they've got quite weird profiles, I think. Like, totally. You know, Bernard and Iwobi, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, they're all, they're all specific specific types, specific strengths that I'm not sure they, they benefit one another. Yeah. I mean, I think Calvert-Lewin's really good for in terms of if we are looking for that target man kind of role. I think he's really good at, you know, holding the ball up, bringing other players into play. I think he's he's the first defender when they are pressing the ball. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, criticism with Richarlison is he's very goal-focused. You know, he, he isn't always... I'm sure he might only have two or three assists since he's joined the club, which if you think for predominantly a wide attacker, you'd expect a little bit more. You would, yeah, but again, like I don't think it's overly problematic from the Charleston's perspective because you say he's overly goal-focused, but I'm not sure too many in the Everton side are. No, yeah, it's not a criticism of him. It's more in terms of having that kind of attacking court let. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. you mean, yeah. It's, uh, it proves quite difficult. So, yeah, I think... I think this, there is clear philosophies in place. It is just a case of trying to, as you said, having the personnel to really, to really do to implement it. And you know, maybe it's a good time to talk about recruitments. Brands come in just before Silver in the same summer. Um, without putting you on the spot in, in terms of specific personnel, what have your thoughts as a whole of Everton's recruitments? Um, over the course of a number of years, strange. Mm. And they're a bit confusing. Yeah. Like, obviously, the the famous three number tens in one summer, yeah. I think it was, wasn't it? Oh, it was bonkers, yeah. I think that's why you get someone like Brands in, because yeah. uh, I think he, he's responsible. His, his main goal has to be to to build a healthy squad that is suitable to executing whatever Silver wants mm. on the pitch, whatever Silver's identity is. Yeah. You know, we've just tried to provide a, provide a brief overview of a day. He needs the players on the pitch to be able to actually execute that game. Yeah, I think there's certain players in the Everton team that maybe aren't overly suited to what Silver wants, maybe, and and um, those players obviously have to be phased out, and more suitable players have to be phased in. Yeah, and gradually, um, you'll just naturally see a, a progression on the pitch in terms of the game being executed better mm. um, and more complete. Yeah, um, but I think you know if he, if he was involved in in, in Signs as early as Richarlison and Lucas Dean and players like that. Bernard as well, I think it was a free transfer. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah, yeah. He picked them out, yeah. They're relatively low risk transfers for me. I've got no issues with them. Mm. Um, Lucas Dean's certainly a great signing for me. Yeah. Um, Bernard, again, as I said, a little bit of a strange player, not particularly an output merchant. Yeah. Considering free transfer, as I said, not yeah. much risk there. So. You can. Um, I find with Bernard, he, he's got sometimes consistency issues, but he's he's probably the best left side to play at Everton. Have to be fair. Um, you know, we we brought a Wobi in, but I'll I'll save the Wobi talk for a little bit later in terms of his best position. Um, yeah, I, I think I just think it's important for him to to not make mistakes in the market. Yeah, I think it it'd be better to almost not sign anyone than go and sign someone who's potentially going to be 
a, a high risk. You don't yeah. want to take risks in the transfer market. Yeah, I think you spot. And that was, I think that was something that they were juggling with um, this this summer. You know, the, the, the they clearly wanted the centre back. They wanted Zuma, couldn't get him um, for whatever reason it turned out to be. And it was, you know, did they, re- did they really want to iron out another 40, 50 million on a, on a centre-back who isn't going to definitely improve the side? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. If you if you look at, I mean, the perfect example is Man United at the minute. Yeah. I think they've consistently over the years splurged money, basically, mm. on players that they think that they need and they think that are good. Yeah. But I think it's, we're at a point now where it's it's beyond just signing good players. Everton needs to avoid just signing good players. You've got to be signing players that are suitable, players that fit the game model sort of thing, mm. and are also obviously good. But yeah. like you know, you yeah, need, we'll need... take it to that next level, really, because you know, at the end of the day, Everton's current ambition is to break away from the side chasing the top six and actually be part of that top six. So you do need players that can not only maintain the side you are, but improve it. Um, yeah, it's 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 about consistency for me regarding recruitments. Yeah, constantly going forwards rather than because I think if you do make a bad signing, it's it's almost it almost has the effect of one step forward, two steps back. Totally, because you you're then lumbered with that player. You have to find a way of fitting him in. If he doesn't fit in, he's you know wasting money sat on the bench sort of yeah. thing. So I think as a whole, though, from what I've seen so far, because there was some memes of criticism um, of brands and. In, in the summer because they, they didn't deliver centre-back, which is what they really needed. I mean, luckily, all the eggs were put in the basket of Yerry Mina to come in, and he's he's probably Everton's best centre-back. In fact, maybe in the show in the future, we can have a, a proper drill-down into him, but he's been fantastic this season. And then you've got, I think Keane struggled a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure about Keane. I don't know if you have any, any opinion on him. Um, no, I'm the same, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. I think he had... This is, this is what I mean in terms of signing players that are suitable to executing your preferred game. Yeah. He's a player who, okay, he showed promise, but he's moving up from a Burnley, so that's an entirely different game. You're playing in, in, a, in a, a low block for the majority yeah. of the time, yeah, showing yeah. pressure rather than defending on the halfway line. Yeah. I just think it's, it's different responsibilities and... I'm not, I'm not overly sure whether he's entirely suited. I, I, he looks a bit out of place for the England too. Yeah, he does. He he looks he looks like he could only ever achieve squad play, for, in my opinion, at England level. And yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's where he seems to get found out. You know, if you think about a Burnley, as you said, they're sitting in a low block. You're probably facing a lot of balls into the box, or um, you know, sitting deep, just lots of interceptions. And then you come to Everton, and you need to be. As I said they want to play a higher line. You need to be prepared to, you know. He needs to be more of an all-rounder, don't he? Exactly, yeah, and he, he isn't doing it, so... But luckily, Holgate seemed to really s- stepped up over the last few weeks, and they look a fairly solid centre-back pair, and so, fingers crossed there. But, yeah, just going back to Silva, I think I... Uh, sorry, Brands, I'm actually fairly content with the signs he's made. Um, a, a big thing I should flag is uh, I was having a look at the average age of the squad before they come in, and it was 29 and a half. Um, which is quite high, and it, now with this season, it's been brought down to twenty average age of twenty five. Um, yeah, it's been brought down in more ways than one as well. Because as I said before, so you think you like you initially had a really big squad, very big squad players that just had no place really there, and needed a bit not even better players. Yeah, yeah, just players just kind of taking the wage, and yeah. So it's it's well, like I think it's been a period of transition for him coming in and working behind the scenes with Silver. 
Um, I think he's managed the situation really well, or as, as well as could be, because one thing you got to remember as well is he's thinking about the long-term prospects of the football club in terms of bringing an average age down, investing for the future, whereas he's, he's battling against Silver, who will be thinking short-term results. Only he'll be thinking about getting the best players in, no matter the price, for who's going to influence the side. And that creates in itself a bit of a, a juggling act for them. Yeah, that's where you've got to get the balance right. That's when you've obviously got to sign players that are youthful enough to to improve their value with time. Mm. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, you've got to sign players that can contribute immediately yeah. or you'll fly down the table. So yeah. they've got to offer that long-term potential, but they've got to have enough quality to contribute as soon as they come in, sort of thing. Definitely. Especially if you if you have positions of need. It's different if you've got a squad or a first 11 that's already really strong and a player can be gradually integrated behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But I think once you start once you start your move forwards, once you start your rebuild, the players you sign are probably going to come in immediately into yeah. the first 11. They're probably going to want to improve the 11 immediately. So Yeah, and that's this is what I think he's done well. You no, know, if I think of the, the first three names on the sheet for me, I'd be looking at, in the, on the team sheet, I'd be looking at, I'm coming from Yerry Mina, Luca Dean, and Richarlison. You know, and they're all players that have been bought in the last 18 months. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. you just got to build on that, really. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll move on to maybe general thoughts of Everton so far this season. Um, you know, as I said, they're in 15th, but it, it is important to note, isn't it, that the table's so congested this year. You've yeah. got between um, 5th and 15th, where Everton lie is three points. So, <laughs> although it's been, it seemed underwhelming, um, there's still three points off the top six. Have you got any any thoughts on how Everton have kind of performed this season? Maybe more underlying numbers than what people are seeing in the table. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to say then. I think one thing we're going to be about every week on this podcast is the whole underlying numbers perspective mm-hmm. on the game. So, you know, people people will be inclined to call them stats and things like that. And I think immediately you have a negative Definitely, connotation yeah. attached to stats. But mm-hmm. for us, the way we use them, they're basically performance indicators. That's, that's how we describe them, performance indicators. So, I mean, I saw you recently put out something about um, how many shots Everton have faced. Yeah. And people... We're inclined to say, you know, it's pointless because we've conceded yeah. know, seventeen or whatever it is. Yeah, that but was actually really frustrating because as you, I won't, I won't take you um, thunder in terms of finishing that sentence. But yeah, you know, that's just people. If you do want to see the tweet, it's it's on at da hughes underscore, and it was basically just stating that Everton have the uh, have faced the fifth lowest number of shots across Europe's top five years, uh, top five <laughs> leagues this season. Um, which uh, on the surface obviously seemed bonkers, didn't it? Couldn't believe it. But as you were saying, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I mean. No, pe- people are inclined to say, yeah, but we've conceded twenty or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the, the two coincide in terms of one tends to relate to the other. Mm. One tends to, you know, you've got to be bothered about the process rather yeah. than just looking at the outcomes. Yeah. So rather than looking at solely the outcomes, we try to look at what influences the outcomes. And if you're fa- if you're facing very few number of shots per match, then it's likely that over a long period of time you're not going to concede that many and your defence is, is decent, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, looking at Everton beneath, beneath the surface, for me, they, they look comfortably at least the sixth best team in the league. Mm. You know, I, w- I wouldn't go much lower than that just based on, based on the numbers. They tend to shoot about five times more than their opponents. 
um, per match. Mm. Um, I think opposing teams find it generally difficult to generate shots against Everton. Um, obviously, they, they, they tend to press, they're inclined to press. The slight issues once that press is broken, yeah. because teams tend to generate clear cut shot, clear cut shots once that happens. But I think that was the underlying narrative that you could maybe take, wasn't it, from the pointing out the um, the fifth fewest number of shots faced yeah. was that you know there is a narrative in there, and the chances are that you know Everton on the whole restricted opposition in terms of shots, but when they do concede shots, they tend to be of a high value. Yeah, I said to you the other day, we, we had a period a couple of years ago, Liverpool like yeah. that. We were really good on the defensive side of the game, pressed intensely, but whenever teams did break our press, they'd just score. Yeah. And, and we'd suffer major results as a, as a consequence when the performance levels from match to match were really, really strong. Mm. And I think Everton, Everton are vaguely similar in, similar in that regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was having a little gander at the... Um the non non penalty XG rankings that today and um Everton ranked fourth in the table. Um and they also rank fourth in the table for non penalty XG against, which again on the surface is decent, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean I was just gonna say uh, people people point of anyone I've spoke to this about away just in general chit chat who kinda keep an eye on things such as like expected goals, etc. They've been inclined to point out that Everton had a fairly easy run. Which they did, of course, but they, they've still played three of last season's top seven, including the champions of, well, the eventual champions last season. So, Cons- I- you know what, considering this is the first episode, maybe we should provide yeah, a sorry. definition of, yeah, of expected of course, goals, yeah. maybe. Go on, just to give a, well, do you want me to just... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll use the standard Newcastle example, eh? the, one, yeah. the one that we always go for. Um well, expected goals anyway, say for example you shoot from 40 yards out, that shot will have a value of about 0.01 maybe, and that's because it's scored roughly 1 in 100 times, it's got about a 1% chance of being scored based on history, based on the history of football. Um, Historical shot data basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. whereas if you're taking a penalty maybe, that's likely to have an XG of about 0.76, and that's because... Roughly seventy six percent of penalties are scored, so you know XG provides an insight into the performance level of a team in terms of creating shots compared to the shots that the opposing team created against them. And obviously, once a shot is created, your reliance on a player to be able to finish your your reliance on a player's finishing ability. XG obviously just considers as though every player is exactly the same. The average player would the average player score this. One percent of the time, thirty-six percent of the time, seventy-six percent of the time, and you know, at the end of a match and at the end of a season, you can get gauges to whether if every player was a robot, mm. whether Everton deserved more better results or worse results, or you know, that that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, you touched earlier the performance indicator. XG is a fantastic performance indicator. I think um, it's not perfect at all, and you know, the more as the shows go on, you'll you'll find us probably going into a little bit more detail, won't we, about maybe flaws and the same. But if we use Everton v Southampton as a good example, you now Everton had 19 shots, and traditionally people would look at a shot, shot count and determine how dominant the side were. But in reality, the, the XG combined for all those shots was 1.47, according to a specific model. I, just, I thought it was 1.74, I don't know why. No, no, uh, 4.7, which is kind of... 
the, the, the better side on the day, but and I, I bet people at home would be assuming 19 shots would probably generate a much higher XG. Yeah, no, I think generally you would be surprised how few shots are actually scored, mm. how few shots result in actual goals. Um, and, you know, I just I mentioned the Newcastle example, oh, yeah. I didn't even say it. Uh, a couple of years ago, for example, Newcastle, um, I think it was 2011-12, finished fifth under Alan Pardew. They finished above Liverpool, above Everton, above Chelsea. They give Alan Pardew the famous eight-year contract. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the summer, they didn't really change a great deal. They sold them bar, brought in Debussy, I think. Wasn't a great deal of change. But the following season, they finished about 15th. Um and, you know, Mike actually obviously couldn't get his head around it. Mm. But those that would have used performance indicators, such as XG, you know, shots, goal difference and things like that, mm. would have been able to foresee that coming. Yeah. Um, because the previous season, I think Newcastle finished fifth, but only with a goal difference of about plus five. Mm. Whereas Chelsea finished sixth with a goal difference of about plus 19. So... In other words, Newcastle benefited from the results, but the actual performance levels on the pitch, the majority of the time, matches were re- really in the balance. Mm. Newcastle got the lucky goal and got and you know benefited from the likes of Papi Cisse converting low quality chances, mm. but it was unsustainable really. And yeah. you'd be able to get an indicator on that if you looked at the performance numbers. Um, so that that's one of the reasons we look at it. It, it, it gives you a better long term gauge on how a team are going to perform whether a team's results are deserved, as opposed to just looking at, you know, did we win? Sort yeah. of thing. Leaving them, I know the most recent example, whilst well, I haven't got the numbers, was, I think this is a good example, because certainly, you know, expected goals, and um, was sort of on the radar, well, definitely was on the radar, actually, um, in 2019, and when people were looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, a yeah. lot of the traditional pundits out there were saying, give him a contract, you know, he's got United playing the United way, but, you know the kind of blogs on the seedy part of the internet were saying, "Oh, this is a this isn't going to sustain, and there's a big problem coming." And of course, post PSG, that that night where United obviously somehow overcome that result in Champions League, everything after that has been a bit of a mess since, hasn't it? And there's still question marks over whether he should he will be the manager long term. But you know, looking at the XG numbers for that phenomenal run they had um, on the way to that. Night in PSG, it, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it, that they were just overperforming massively? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And you know, just just taking it back to Everton. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from Everton's perspective, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure if it's a positive or a negative. I think it's a, probably a positive. But looking at their numbers objectively, it looks as though rather than being lucky as Pardew was and as Solskjaer was. It looks like Silver's unlucky event. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah. It looks like Everton's numbers suggest the team, as I said, that's about the sixth best in the league, maybe, mm. around that. But, you know, the positioned in 15th because the chances that they are creating, maybe, aren't really being finished. Like, I, I looked at, you know, the players in Everton's team, and Bernard is the only player who's, who's, who's scored more than he's been expected to score, yeah. according to XG. Every other player has scored fewer. Than the, well, not every other player, but you know, there's not there's not a great deal, and there's no player that's greatly overperforming his numbers and yeah. and and doing silver a favour, basically. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good point you're making. Probably moves us on to why Everton aren't where where 
where they should be according to the underlying numbers. And I think that's one you've just flagged perfectly there that the they're just not finishing the chances, are they really? That they should that they're creating for themselves. Another thing is, um, <coughs> you know, that as I touched on before, that they tend to dominate or the the more dominating side without actually wholly dominating the game. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say there? So they're yeah. the they're the better side normally, but they don't do enough in terms of dominating the game to secure the win. And I'll, I'll back it up with some numbers. So Obviously, this season, they've averaged 1.08 goals per game and they've conceded 1.5. The XG is um, an average of 1.31 and they've conceded an average XG of 1.12. So, really there, although um, if we look at the XG solely for now, they're, they're the better side in terms of XG. There's, there's not enough dominance to kind of... Yeah, overcome the variables or the the kind of the madness random, that can yeah. happen, or the, the random the events, ra- random events, yeah, that can happen within a ninety minute match. And you know, prime example of Everton kind of suffering from these. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the VAR decision at Brighton, um, which obviously proved to be wrong, but it, it, the game's finally poised a two one, and that yeah, leads yeah, to yeah. a two two, and then obviously a three two via their own goal. Yeah, um, I think I think City are the perfect perfect example of what we're talking about there. Mm. One of the reasons Guardiola consistently wins leagues and consistently wins matches and things like that every year he gets that in around 100 points which is relatively unheard of is because the way his teams play he exhibits dominance mm. over the opposing team not just in possession but you know consistently City t- seem to take roughly around maybe 17 18 shots per match mm. and he face about maybe 6 mm. so if in every match don't care who you are. Yeah, you're taking 18 shots, and the opposing team's taking six. You're going to win the majority of them. Yeah, and the more you can get that in your favour, the more likely you are to win the match, regardless of random events that can occur during games, like red cards or you know penalty decisions or or things like that. And it's important to know from an Everton perspective. You know, Josh mentioned it before, but Everton averaging around 12 shots per game, and the opposition's um, 7.8. So. You know, that Ev- is quite that is decent. Yeah, Everton are on, on the right track, aren't they? Yeah, that 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 is you know sound. I've got no I've got no issues with that. That's you're out shooting your opponents. Yeah, on average by about five shots a game. That as long as it increases, yeah. which it should do if you continue to sign better players. Yeah, you know that's that's an upwards trajectory. Yeah, um, another thing we should point out, but we won't we won't stay on it. I'll just flag it quickly because. You can, you've probably spoken a million times about this with your mates down the pub or at the game or whatever, but set pieces have been killing Everton as well for the last 18 months. Um, they've conceded seven so far this season and um, 16 last season. That's that's about 32% of all their league goals are being conceded from set pieces. Um, yeah, it's which, not great. It's an Achilles heel, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is, yeah. If you can just try and get down to that to maybe 10 or 12%, then you're going to see a huge difference in your results because, as we mentioned many times on other shows, football is a low-scoring game and a goal will often be a deciding factor in a match. Yeah, so like, for example, I'll just give you an example on that. It's it's also an Achilles heel of Chelsea at the minute, mm. Frank Lampard's team. Chelsea, most matches do tend to dominate their opponents this season. They're doing really well. All their results are deserved according to the numbers. Mm. But they do seem to be suffering at the hands of set-pieces. For example, they played Liverpool a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, 
fairly even game. Don't think he was much in it at all. Liverpool scored from a direct free kick yeah. and a a free kick that was delivered into the box and headed in. Yeah. So you it know, was a well worked free kick just to add, wasn't it? it was a, yeah, 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 definitely well worked. Yeah, but that's the kind of thing that, like, you know, despite your performance levels being good, mm. you can you can easily suffer at the hands of at the hands of set pieces because of what you just said regarding football being a low scoring game. Yeah, and we know as well that's it. We, it's, it's certainly top sides now when investing a lot into profiting from set pieces as well, um, which will naturally filter down into the sides chasing them in the table. And that means that not only are um, these sides who struggle to defend against them um, struggling, but they've also got a, they're also facing more, I don't know, what's the term I'm looking for? A bit more advanced coaching mechanisms or thought processes behind set pieces now rather than just being a, a whip ball into yeah, the cross. Choreographed. The, choreographed, perfect, yeah. yeah. That's the best way to articulate it. Um, so it's something that you really need to be good at defending against. Um, yeah, so I said, the, the sides are good for Everton, aren't they, really, in terms of underlying numbers. And well, I, I think they've got a real tough run. If we have a look at the fixtures, they've got, after Norwich, got Leicester away, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Probably the three best teams in the league. Um, well, three of the four. City in there as well. Um, so that's tough. And then you got United away. Um, Leicester in the cup. And then Arsenal at home. So it's a, it's a ruthless run of fixtures. Um, do you think that we might have we might have similar performance levels after them? Or you could see a drop? Well, this this is what we're saying really, isn't it? The, the performance levels that we're talking about here. What we're saying really is if Everton continue to perform exactly with those performance levels up until the end of the season, they should be fine. Yeah. Because that, what they're doing is enough to win the majority of matches if if every single player was exactly the same level. Mm. Uh, the difference is that, that, that you know, they're not, and, and set pieces come into it, and refereeing decisions come into it, and things like that. But I'd expect Everton's um, performance in regards to the numbers to, Tail off a bit, a little bit in terms of facing top opponents. Though yeah. you're not going to be dominating. The, I mean, who who exactly? I mean, you face Liverpool, don't you? Yeah, face um, So we got Leicester away, which could obviously be a tricky fixture. Chelsea at home. We we know Chelsea. Been really impressed by Chelsea. I think that'll be a really tough game. But I must say, those three games are really tough. But United shouldn't really be a sad that it feared. Okay, that. The, the, I'm not, I'm not the, sure Leicester either. I mean, we well, yeah, we, we have addressed Leicester, haven't we? And yeah, we know that the they, they may be on the brink of a drop off at some point. Yeah, just just based on Leicester's numbers, you you would get the perspective that they have benefited a lot from aspects such as luck and red cards and things mm-hmm. like that. And I, I think what it is for for Everton, um, I said I won't stay on too long, but their their away form isn't great either. I think if that was a home fixture, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd I'd fancy them a little bit more just to yeah, yeah. bring it down, but um, yeah, it's it's not it's away, so it'll be interesting. Um, we'll move on anyway to someone I I mentioned earlier. I'd like to talk about, and that's new boy Alex Awobi, <coughs> uh, who came in the summer. Now we were we were both sitting at the news desk at the Echo, wasn't we? When um, Awobi's kind of transfer or news of it come from nowhere. Was it the second to last day of the window? Yeah, it was certainly yeah. inside the second to last. It might have even been the last, you know. And it, stand, it stands out to me that I remember you saying you like a Wobie. Yeah, that yeah, my, my yeah. first thought was it's an interesting 
outside the box type sign. Yeah, that didn't even cross my mind as an option. If, Same. If I'm honest, and it, it, I think a lot of people. And I did a piece at the time along these lines. So this isn't me kind of saying I knew better than all of you because this is the impression we were getting. But a lot of people thought he was going to be a Zaha alternative, and I don't know if if it was a masterstroke in that he was going to be something a little bit more, or they were just looking for an Azaha alternative, and he proved out to, to be this person. But he's probably not... I hope he wasn't. Yeah, because yeah. Because that's a little bit concerning. The view. Yeah, exactly. That's the point I was about to say. He, he's not he's not a winger, is he, really? His profile doesn't suit being a wire player. No. If, if From what I pick up on whenever I look at a Wobi, he always shows up well in regards to being a player that is capable of progressing the ball up the field. Which is easier said than done. It sounds yeah. very simple, but in terms of advancing up the pitch, getting from A to B, that's what I think about is Iwobi's best quality. Good in tight spaces, doesn't need many touches to make a decision on the ball, and his decision is usually good. Um, so he, he's a player that I mean, I'm not sure if you're about to mention it, but he, he's a player that for me seems to suit quite a central role in a lot of systems. Yeah. Um, Perhaps even as an eight, depending on who's surrounding him and depending on, again, what, what your system is. But I I do really like him as a player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, spot on. Totally echo it. Yeah. I've I've been banging the drum really for him as a as a number 10. But I have said, even as a number eight, if Everton were looking to deploy a, a, a 4-3-3 type formation, which... I think Silver still wants to do, and I'm not too sure. Um, he's had some opportunities, but this this season, just with the injuries, it's been difficult to kind of fill that midfield. But I would like I would like to see him as an eight. I think he could be really good in that role. Um, but if we just focus on being a number ten, yeah, I have to agree. He's he's really dynamic. I, although the sample size in terms of minutes is different between the two players, but this season he's averaged around. Just short twenty five passes received per ninety minutes. When you compare that to Sigurdsson, who averages just just on twenty per ninety, I think it shows that Obi is just better at finding pockets. You know, using that kind of awareness to to find the holes within the opposition setup. Yeah, well, that was one that was one thing I've got. I was going to make, but I've uh, I've took a little slightly alternative route on yeah. that. Um, I think he's more inclined to show for the ball as well. So I just looked at. Over the past calendar year, mm-hmm. um, 38 number 10s have played over 1,500 minutes in Europe's top five leagues. Mm. 38, and Sigurdsson's 34th for passes per 90. Yeah, now, I know that's obviously reliant on tactics and style and all things like that, but it, it it's basically all, it does also capture that he, he doesn't see the ball a great deal considering yeah. he's technically a link man really a number 10 obviously different responsibilities and things like that but a main responsibility usually is to link the play to provide Mm. a bit of glue or like you know the whole advanced pivot kind of thing yeah Yeah. and you see the thing I have with Sigurdsson and I do like Sigurdsson you know I think he's a he's almost like a I don't know he's although he still hasn't scored a direct free kick since he's joined Everton but I was about to say he's a set piece Specialist, and I don't know if that's actually accurate, but he's perceived as one anyway. And I always find he he can produce match winning moments, and he'll always give you a moment within a game. You know, whether that be a 
a through ball or you know a, a, a really good cross into the box he'll always give you a moment but his all around tendency to drift through a game unnoticed really often outweighs those fleeting contributions yeah you know, I, I totally agree that he's he's one player who's definitely capable of almost winning a match on his own yeah but at the same time I think in the grand scheme of things he's inclined to negatively impact the system yeah just because he's He's almost like a, a cog that's not working sometimes, and if if obviously if a cog falls down, then the whole the whole yeah. system breaks, sort of thing. I'm not, I don't think he's as bad as that, but I don't know. I've always looked at Sigerson and thought he he looks to me as though he's got similar qualities in terms of delivery to De Bruyne and Alexander Arnold, mm. and I'm I'm always curious as to whether he, he never really seems to be tested in the four two three one on the right side. Do you get yeah. what I mean? Yeah, in so a, coming in a, into the half space. Type yeah, thing, just yeah. just so we can put those deliveries in from the inside right position. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a as a test, because I'm not, I'm just not certain he's a ten. I'm not so, I'm not sure he's a he's a, a positively a positive contributor as a ten. Um, I think we can probably say he isn't really. Um, certainly now, obviously he's he's getting older as well. He just hasn't. I don't think he just hasn't got that uh, that prowess in the in that area that you need. Like, you know. Like, like, I, I watched the Wobie a couple of weeks ago against West Ham mm. at Goodison. Mm. Everton played superb on the day. But I picked up on a Wobie making a real difference because he was inclined to just, like, pick up the ball and play a really short pass around the corner with, like, one, two touches. Mm, yeah. Uh, good in tight spaces, as I've said. L- linking the play without requiring any real time on the ball yeah. and things like that. And just moving, as I said, moving, moving this team up the pitch, yeah. but doing it quickly without allowing the opposing team to actually assess the situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Too often, Sigurdsson will, will, will just allow sides to get... Because he is a bit slow and laboured, he just allows sides to switch into the environment and organise and work out what's going on, who's making passes where, you know, close them down, take that yard. That, As you said, a Wobie doesn't. I, I, you know, I put a, a thread on Twitter about Iwobi's impact. Now, Iwobi actually didn't start the Southampton game. He was on the bench and Sigurdsson started number 10. But Iwobi come on in, in the second half. And I, for me, I thought he was integral to the second goal. Um, you know, he, the ball's played into him in the centre circle. And for me, I think Sigurdsson, who's he's goes back to goal at this point, takes a touch there before spinning around on it. And Iwobi takes no touch, lets the ball roll past him. Drives forward with the ball to allow um, Sadibi to make the overlap and run, and then he plays a perfectly weighted ball for Sadibi to run onto and put across it. It was just a, a brilliant piece of play that didn't really get the credit it deserves, and also a piece of play I don't think Sigurdsson would have been capable of producing. Yeah, I just, I just think he's he's a little bit of a, a tactical misfit in terms of like he. Is, is capable of those moments in matches, so he almost just gets a place in the side. Mm. But he requires certain certain circumstances to be able to apply his game on yeah. the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Coutinho was similar to that. Coutinho's got got to have that kind of, like, hybrid role from the left to the central midfield, and he's got to be allowed to, like, see lots of the ball and shoot wherever he wants yeah. and things like that. And if you're good enough to demand that, Fine, it's worth it's worth doing. Sigurdsson was undoubtedly good enough to demand that at Swansea. Yeah, 
and it looked as though whenever Swansea scored, it was him doing it. Mm. But the higher up you climb, the better you've got to be to demand such a tactical, a tailored tactical role. Yeah. The highest I can think of is Messi. Yeah. Obviously, he spends the majority of the match walking. He's got his own role virtually. Yeah. But because of what he delivers, he is worth those adjustments. I'm just not sure Sigurdsson is. Yeah, spot on, mate. Highly. and uh, totally agree. Just quickly, a final word on Awobi. The the only negative I can really think of at the moment is he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of goals to his game. Um he scored two so far this season, all competitions. Three last season, I think it was for Arsenal. Um but that's only League and Domestic Cup. I know he scored in the Europa League final, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I'm sure he did. Um Who? Awobi. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll say he did for now. I can't quite remember. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, Awobi's lacking goals from his game at the moment. Do you do you think that's something that should be a concern? Or I know. Yeah, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a problem. Would you? Because is is this because you consider him more of a creator than a goal scorer? Yeah, it is. Goal scoring's not a problem, mm. providing you get goals from elsewhere. Yeah, I think you. Let him do what he's good at in the team, which is for me progressing the ball, mm. and you let other people do the scoring. Okay, that might then people then players might not be there at the minute, but yeah. as I said, you know we we were talking about Balance's recruitment there. If he keeps going in the way he's going, maybe be inclined to move a Wobi into either a number ten or an eight. Yeah, get players in the team who are going to score, and then there's less of an emphasis on a Wobi to do so. Yeah, it was a Wobi who scored in that final, by the way. Just to confirm. Um, yeah, well, I'm re- really conscious that time's getting away from us here. Um, but I just want to touch on um, Moise Keane very quickly. Now, Evertonians were over the moon with this signing. And so was I, to be honest. Really exciting. We haven't really seen anything of him so far. Um, and when he has come in, he's been a bit of a misfit. He's looked a little bit out of sorts. And yeah, it's a strange one, really. I'm just, I, I, I still think he's going to be a success big time. I think he potentially needs a run in the side. Obviously, through the week, he uh, he played for the Italy under-21 side and scored two goals. Maybe that's the confidence he needs. I think he'd still be a really good player for Everton. Yeah, I, I don't see much of an issue at the minute. He's only been in, you know, not, not for long, basically, and he's still, I think he's 19 years old, yeah. isn't he? He scored six um, goals in City R last season before over like very little playing time. I think considering his, his profile, how good he is for his age, what he offers and things like that. Again, going back to the whole risk thing regarding recruitments, I think he's a very low risk sign. Yeah. I think even even for even it, for the money. Even though I agree, I'm just put, I'm, I'm putting Yeah, but what, what I'm saying is yeah. even if he has a, a nightmare, um I still think you're getting a good amount of money back for him yeah, when it comes fair, to eventually yeah. selling him. Yeah. I think he's worth, was it 30 million or so? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Potentially rise into, to say, 40. I, uh, I, I think, considering his current profile and, and you know, how how complete his game is at such a young age, still a teenager, as I said, I think his, I think he was worth the risk and I think it, it'd have to go seriously badly wrong for Everton to take a hit, yeah. I think, on, on him. And he, he, for me, is kind of the perfect recruitment strategy while I've been wanting Everton to, to kind of install for, for a while in the sense that, you know, Everton aren't the elite in the in the Premier League. You know, they're maybe a tier or two below. Um, 
So what I really want to see Everton do then is invest in younger players who they can reap benefits on the pitch as they advance and improve and then sell them on for profits. And that that's how they sustain as a club rather than relying on the likes of Mashiri putting in, you know, 150, 200 million every couple of years, which is really difficult to do now anyway because of financial fair play. Um, so I think it's... It, it, he was the type of sign I was really happy with, and I think it's a statement of where Everton are in terms of recruitments. Um, yeah, so we had said that there's no point dwelling too much on Southampton. Um, it was Everton's first away win of the season, which was good. Um, I think it, it, it carried a lot with the, the story of Everton's season so far in terms of, you know, the better side, but not necessarily dominating. They've relied on a, a goal late on from Charleston to, to get all three points, but I think it was important to get the victory. Um, XG numbers 1.47 in their favour compared to 0.78 for Southampton. And I think 0.52 of that XG for Southampton was the goal itself, which was Danny Ings from around six yards out. So on the whole, they didn't really let Southampton create a lot. No, I mean, f- you know, fr- from an objective stance... It's kind of the the ideal game, really. I think. I mean, just did you say Everton had? Everton had nineteen with <coughs> six on target. Yeah, well, I mean, Southampton, I think, took about six, was it? Something Less like than that? that, actually. They took four with three on target. Well, that comes back to what we said before. If if you're dominating the shot count to that extent, you're going to win most weeks. Yeah. So that is a perfect example of 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 what Everton and what every team should be striving to get towards. Yeah. It's just quite remarkable how many teams in the Premier League just seem to, they just can't do it. Yeah. So it, any team that does start to do it tends to climb really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Arsenal can't do it at the minute, Man United can't do it at the minute, Chelsea can, Spurs can't at the minute, but obviously we'll see how that one goes from yeah. now onwards. So Everton face Norwich this weekend, first game after the international break. Bear in mind the fixtures on the horizon, I think it's a huge game and... I said to you before we started recording, for me, this is probably, bearing in mind it's a home fixture, it's probably the easiest game in the Premier League. And that's not no disrespect to Norwich, and this isn't me setting myself up for egg on my face if they go on to, <laughs> to win at Goodison. But, you know, certainly pre-game, it should be the easiest easiest fixture Everton will probably face over the next few months. Um, you know, there was a... I was getting really frustrated. I talked to you many a time about the the false narrative around Norwich's ability after they beat City. Um, yeah, but then they've gone on to lose something like seven of the last eight games. So would you would you agree that's probably the easiest fixture Everton can face? Yeah, they look really um, really naive to me. Yeah, really open. Um, I think the, I, I admire the whole sticking to your principles thing and refusing to change in that to an extent, but they will be. A level where it gets to a point where you're like, don't start hitting it long by any means. Yeah, of course. Just make a few sensible decisions on the ball or, you know, make make a few sensible decisions regarding instructing a certain player to be a, a bit more cautious because of who he's up against or, you know, risks in certain areas of the pitch. Just things like that. Just not as seem to be... I mean, I think you can tell that they're, they're a young team. Uh, a little bit fragile. And obviously, we were talking earlier about set pieces Norwich are actually the smallest side in the league mm. um, so you know put a, put a fiver on Yenny Mina or something yeah, getting, yeah. getting him from a corner yeah I didn't know we were doing tips but that's probably a good one to be fair <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I, I just think they're a very naive side, struggling at the minute. Yeah, they the face there, the second most shots in the league. Um, and they're full of mistakes for me that Everton are likely to provoke, considering that they're, they're inclined to press quite high up the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched them only, probably would have been, I've watched them a couple of times, but in terms of full 90 minutes, where I was watching each detail of the game, I watched them at Anfield at the start of the season. Um, and, you know, the it was very just open and expansive at, at one end, and then they were creating chances, but... I don't know. It was just a bit wild, wasn't it? And yeah. it, it, it just it was, didn't feel like they were in, They didn't realize this is the Premier League, where you know you kind of need a little bit more structure to your game. Yeah, just just a little bit more like realism, a bit more pragmatic about not not even that because I'm not going to take like the Andy Gray stance or something yeah. where, where, where you need to start hoofing it long or something. It's just a case of being a bit more sensible, a bit more streetwise about what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, not not a very good defensive game at all. Um, and on the attacking side, they're currently thirteenth for shots taken. So they're a little bit worse than mid table on the attacking side and on the defensive side. They're the worst for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, mix them together, and you, you, you're up against a team that's fairly. Uh, if you consider as well the age of them, that the, the smallest side in the league and things like that, they are a relatively easy side to face. Yeah, yeah. He's spot on. Um, well, we'll round it up there. Predictions for the for the game. Um, I am gonna go three nil Everton. Three nil. You know what? I'll uh, I'll go I'll go four one. <laughs> yeah, just to, uh, I, 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 Everton seems to have a tendency to concede against players who haven't scored for a while, and um, Pukki's obviously <laughs> in a in a huge drought for Norwich, but he did score three goals in two games over the international break. So maybe he might find find a way to net one, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely promise though that my three nil doesn't derive from the fact that Lucas Dean's in my fantasy team. <laughs> 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 a little yeah. bit of hope in that one. I think he needs to go back and man actually. <laughs> um, but listen, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed the first show. As I said, it'll be it'll be a regular show, and um, well. Yeah, if you've got any feedback, by all means, if it's nice stuff, send us a tweet. If it's if it's not, then DM us from no one else sees it. But <laughs> uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, any questions, drop us a line and and hopefully we'll see you tuning in for the next one. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.